I feel like I need to see Saltburn just so that you know I can I can agree with everybody who says it's it, rubbish. It's, enta- and it's know entertaining. All the it's entertaining. Why it's terrible. Yeah, well, it's entertaining enough that you can what you can hate watch it. Whereas, like when someone tells me like, "Oh, hate watch this," thing, I'm like, "But that's going to be boring, and I'm going to hate it. Like, why would I, you know, suffer through that?" But this one you can enjoy and hate, which is which is the mm. best kind, I think. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yesterday we had a, a nice cup of uh, uh, green tea. Um, oh, so I really? hate those people. Yeah. <laughs> Let's call um, back. I don't get it. I mean, I, I, at the end of the last episode, I made a reference to hating people who drink organic tea or whatever. It wasn't okay. Well, <laughs> it wasn't. Listen, you gonna, I should listen organic. to that one. <laughs> In my defense, it wasn't organic. Yeah, it um, might have been. I almost said. I mean, I like to say you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take but I, I've said that on the, this podcast oh a few times. And so I didn't want to interrupt you when you're making a serious oh, point, I was actually going to say, I saw a meme the other day taking the piss out of that statement. I was going to send you it. I need to go dig that up. Now I really do have to send you oh, it. You've missed that shot, mate. I literally you didn't, you didn't take it. Shot. You're right. You're right. Okay. Um, let's do girls and boys first in that case. <laughs> Dear patrons, we're back, uh, the three of us, regular Bunga Boys and Nina Power. Um, so we're going to continue on our discussion. We've uh, resolved the problem of evil and we found out whom and how to hate. Um, so <laughs> now we're going to deal with more mundane matters, uh, matters of gender. Uh, <laughs> so um, there's been over the past year, I feel like, drips and drabs of discussion and little bits of information and infographics showing a gender gap in politics of women voting increasingly for the quote-unquote left and men for the right, and that this gap is growing. Now, in January, the Financial Times did a big series on this matter with plenty of charts, which um, you can see in the show notes. Uh, there's a link to it. Um, I'm just going to quote from the main Financial Times article. In the US, women aged 18 to 30 are now 30 percentage points more liberal than their male count, uh, contemporaries. That gap took just six years to open up. It's a very recent thing. Germany now also shows a 30-point gap between increasingly conservative young men and progressive female contemporaries. And in the UK, the gap is 25 points. In Poland last year, half of men aged 18 to 21, so just the very youngest uh, age bracket, backed the hard-right Confederation Party compared to just one-sixth of young women of the same age. And just me personally, I noticed this back in in. 2018 in Brazil, um, when Bolsonaro was elected, uh, young men went very strongly in favor of Bolsonaro, um, and young women were at the heart of the hashtag Ilino, not him, uh, demonstrations. Um, and that remained the case in 2022, albeit maybe to slightly less degree, but it's something which I thought at the time, wow, if there's such a big gender divergence at, at this young age, is this something that's going to sustain itself over, um, you know, over their life course? Or is it something, it's a, a matter of youth that'll then disappear. So um, I'm very intrigued as to what is behind here. I'm just going to cite a couple of other facts just to kind of give a little bit more context, because it's across a huge range of countries. So the FT cites like 
South Korea, where the divergence is massive, as well as kind of US, UK, and so on. Um, here's just one bit. Uh, old groups of people, young and old, men and women, have become more liberal on race and immigration in the UK, except young men. Um, in the Nordic countries, this thing has been going on a little bit longer. So young women have been significantly more leftist than young men since around the 1990s. Um, in Finland, Denmark, and Norway, the gap is currently at 20 to 40 percentage points. So that's like very, very large. On the other hand, there's other countries where this doesn't seem to be manifest. So in France, Spain, and Italy, um, there were actually large gender gaps in those three countries in the 1950s and 60s, but going the opposite way. So back then, men were more left-wing, women were more right-wing. Um, these days, there's really hardly any difference. Um, so it's quite it's quite equal. There's, there isn't any kind of meaningful gender divergence. And across a whole range of countries, it seems like back in the 50s and 60s, young men were more left-wing and young women were more right-wing. Then for a long period of time, it was more or less even. It wasn't significant, and there wasn't like a significant trend across a whole range of countries at any rate. And now, in the past 10 years, um, in some places even less than that, there's this huge divergence that has opened up amongst really, I guess, young millennials and, and Gen Z who, for whom young women vote progressive and young men vote conservative, and it's very marked. And I have a whole range of hypotheses on this, but maybe... Um, instead of me talking about that, I find this this area super interesting because it, there's so many hypotheses which suggest themselves which you want to test out. And don't, test be out don't be modest, Alan. Don't be don't be modest. They theories, not hypotheses. Well, I mean, we're not going to get in <laughs> anyway. Um, the uh, I, first thoughts on this. Um, hearing these these statistics, I assume you've kind of come across this discussion as well. Yeah, I agree with you. It's unbelievably interesting. Um, because precisely there are so many things one might invoke uh, and it's tempting to say, well, it must be, must be this, it must be the pill, it must be uh, the gynocracy or <laughs> yeah. whatever, it must be the rewards. It's the long house, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or the, the, the structure of the system which rewards particular maybe emotions and, <laughs> uh, and so on to, to, to kind of continue that. Yeah, it, it, it's, it is absolutely fascinating. I think maybe without confusing... Um, correlation and causation this is also in the period in which birth, the birth rate is collapsing uh and things like marriage as a social institution are basically you know really very low um especially for younger people who are waiting much longer far fewer of them are getting married and so on it, it doesn't have a kind of the same social cachet or the same normative value that it did even for uh, maybe even gen x but i'm certainly my parents generation um so yeah, I, I think that's in the background. I don't want to sort of say that's that's how that relates, but it clearly I think I think it does. I I would it's it's it okay, I'm gonna try I'm gonna try two hypotheses. They're not they're not theories, but let's say speculative uh I want to say jizz, but <laughs> speculative let's not say that. What's hypotheses? <laughs> What's wrong with hypotheses? Ignore Phil. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fusions. Um, okay, one of which would be to do, I suppose, with um, something I tried to talk about in my book, which is the attempt to divide men and women, right, through a form of uh, particularly demonization of men, um, which I definitely think we, we've seen. Um, and there, there might be some good historical grounds for that and everything like that, or some, some grounds along. The, the predominance of violence in men and, and so on and so forth. But it's very obvious to someone who 
grow up in the 90s that there is a concerted attempt to uh, really demonize men as a c category of uh, human beings um, in the liberal media and to somehow invoke almost an idea of evil in fact like men are somehow ontologically evil um merely by the fact of being men and this particularly played out in terms of class and we know that like working class white boys are basically excluded from everything at this point and particularly from post-industrial regions we've had got enormous male suicide rates i've had three male friends commit suicide that this kind of total lack of a social role for many young men um this immersion into uh, I don't know, video games and a kind of a total dispossession, a, a sort of, um, you know, uh, isolation, really, of many uh, and many young men economically, socially and, and so on. And at the same time, this kind of kicking of this entire uh, entire group. Um, and you had this really concerted attempt to drive a wedge, I think, between men and women who maybe don't naturally have forms of... Um, solidarity and, and again i keep using this word but but how, how to put it we are we are complementary we have there is a complementarity and the social contract depends upon the idea that men and women in their difference can nevertheless uh get along periodically and uh, and this is my you know optimistic and and it's it's not even optimistic it's it's based on reality the fact that i have male friends and male partner work with men you know it, it is simply not the case that men are uh, somehow um, uh, unfamiliar, incomprehensible, or evil, you know, whatever. That, you know, it's just not true. Nevertheless, this line has been, been pushed to drive a wedge. This is interesting because it's in the context of perhaps the um, increasing, I mean, Ivan Illich calls it the sad loss of gender, but he means sex in a way. But the fact that sexual difference doesn't really matter in a certain kinds of post-industrial economy in the main, right? Men will still do the most dangerous jobs, but, you know, in an information knowledge economy, it really doesn't matter. The sex of the worker doesn't matter. We had the mass influx of women into the workforce, um, obviously not just working class women, but middle class women, women, you know, are more than men in the workforce. Uh, at the end of last century in the West, uh, there are more women in the workforce than men. Um, in America and other countries. So, but at the same time, we've had this kind of um, dissolution of the, the importance of sexual difference. There are no longer separate spheres in the same way as there were historically, uh, whether private, public, or, or you know, um, particular kinds of jobs, because basically everyone's doing the same kind of job that doesn't require um, anything to do with sex. Mm. So you have the kind of elimination of sex at the same time as you have this attempt to divide the sexes, um, you know, which is having all kinds of like terrible consequences and including um, in the very minor parts, but men wanting to opt out of being a man. And I can sort of understand why they want to, because, you know, if being a man is so awful, why would you <laughs> want to be one, you know? And mm -hmm. people I think who are especially online and particularly prey to maybe these, these sorts of messages um, might reasonably think, well, women... Could do whatever they want they be you know it's it's a it's the the future is feminist you know that sounds great that sounds a lot better than being kicked and when you're down and being accused of being responsible for all kinds of terrible things you know this kind of guilt inducement of guilt um that i think has been very effective so that um, and the traditional stuff of like still ideas of being a provider or you know having to pay on a date and whatever so it's like you're getting the the both the the worst of both worlds i guess right exactly so who would want to sort of 
you know stay in that it, it's it's like a horrible sort of double bind at which you'll be punished you know for anyway so it's it's interesting that this form of differentiation seems to come as you say right at the level of political beliefs or political voting intentions it's almost like an attempt to re-differentiate the sexes in an age of the dissolution of the differentiation right um it's it's clearly um based around emotion it's clearly it is clearly symptomatic of um, a therapeutic model of um and and the sort of domination of a kind of af affective um way of seeing things right that oh it's good to be compassionate it's good to be on the side of the underdog or the oppressors or the victims and i think women are um how can I put this? I, I, of course, some of what I'm going to say sounds very reactionary, but it's, it's all speculative. Um, oh, yeah, that's that that won't that won't stand up in court. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, but let's let's just say if, that women have a slightly different relationship to their own emotions. But let's be clear: anger is an emotion too. Is I'm not saying that men are robots. To go back to your joke at the beginning, but there, I think there is a way in which, um, because maybe we're not able to deal with things in a physical way right we we have to use language and emotion to to manipulate others and i don't mean manipulate in a negative sense i mean in the sense of like all forms of communication are forms of manipulation right but you know there's a there's a pathic there's a sense in which women are have to be more pathic right they're forced into it by their by biological restriction right because we can't stand up uh, you know and be and be violent um particularly um so we you know this emotionalization of the political cultural sphere concern about um yeah uh, offense and uh and all of these things are not mm. it's it these are not typically associated with masculine virtues they're certainly not heroic virtues they're whatever comes after you know if we have the heroic and the modern it's whatever comes after that it's the you know the pathic um and so yeah i think this division the social cultural division and maybe the the right wingification of young men is also is motivated by revenge perhaps you know you've called us these terrible yeah. things for years and, and and it's worth it's worth pointing out that mm. i mean it depends on which country but in some cases you know there is a in most cases, the divergence is driven by both genders. So women becoming more um, mm -hmm. progressive, liberal than the norm, or, and men becoming more conservative. Not always. In some cases, it, it's just one side who are doing it. But generally, it's both. So, I mean, you could explain in one place, you know, by men becoming more conservative because of anger, white male rage or whatever, and women becoming more progressive because um, they're caring and blah, 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 right? Or they're alienated by men's aggression. You know, those would be the kind of, I think, mainstream interpretations. Mm -hmm. What's interesting and so tantalizing about, I think, about this question of trying to figure out what's going on is that you can explain it from gender, from that side of things, and from social changes, sociocultural changes that you've been doing, Nina. But there's a lot to be explained also from the political side of why this manifests politically and also what those political categories that we're using, how they might explain or fail to explain something, right? So but wait. It, it, it's I, all I'm, all I'm, I'm, you can come in in a second, Phil. It, it's question begging to say women vote for the left. Okay, because what does left mean nowadays? It didn't doesn't mean what it used to mean. You know, so there's lots of things to untangle there. Well, there's so, going to the standard, well, the stand, but the standard kind of liberal line on this is that it's um, backlash, 
right? Mm-hmm. It's men have had their way for so long, and now they're so entitled and resentful that they're being kind of, um, you know, that things have been kind of uh, more equilibrated in favor of women. And so it's um, any, you know, I, I think this probably contributes to this um, kind of, insofar as there is a gender polarization, some of it is contributed to, I think, by that um, patronizing you know, typically patronizing liberal response. Oh, well, you know, this is just you kind of not having got with the program, basically. So um, is the way yeah. in which it's deflated. So what, what would the kind of the new right response be? Like men are more based and so they are therefore more right wing? Well, backlash, it's backlash against women who are woke. Like we, we, women mm. are leading the woke revolution and it's mm. backlash. So both sides, left and right, have their own backlash explanation, I think. Yeah. But I wonder if there's a sort of deeper historical point, which is to say we've never actually known what it would be like to have women with suffrage who are unencumbered by men, right? We've like women have only been sort of autonomous political subjects for like just over a hundred years, and so if you how to put it another way, like there's never been a historical situation in which women have been without men, right? So. Now what we're seeing in these kind of liberal, individualistic, um, you know, societies where the birth rate is collapsed, marriage rate is collapsed, is a form of, um, I suppose, uh, freedom in heavily inverted commas, like at least a a form of, um, um, you know, self-led individualism, which maybe this is what it looks like, you know, when men and women are not forced by normative pressure, Mm. by social pressure, by religious pressure, by, you know, by simply social reproduction but but rather wow maybe this is what men are really liking maybe this is what women are really like we've never we've never had this um experience before historically yeah i mean i think that there's something kind of tempting about that explanation i mean certainly that like that this is the first generation i maybe would put it differently and one of the hypotheses that i noted down was that this is probably the first generation which has taken gender equality as a given certainly as an idea and possibly as a reality, depending on where you are, um, and that this manifests itself this way. Now, why why this way? It's, it remains to be explained. I mean, there's also, you know, questions about how politics has changed. And I think you already hinted at this, Nina. I find it very intriguing. The idea that politics itself has oriented itself around questions of gender or, you know, related questions of sexuality, reproduction, the family, but also that it, like, around questions which can be coded in gender ways and and like gender ways understood how we understand them today so there's a lot of kind of stuff that this depends on but basically being nice and caring versus being angry and resentful for example i mean that (laughs) that obviously is puts it in a way which is much more favorable to women than to men but you know you can get the idea right at least at a kind of aesthetic level like what the vibe is between women and men and that to vote for trump is to like to be the angry resentful thing and to vote for the Democrats is the kind of nice and caring thing. Now, we know, of course, that politically behind that, there's, a, it, I mean, it's a, piles and piles of bullshit, basically, that, that they, it doesn't mean that the Democrats really are nice and caring or that, mm-hmm. you know, Trump is only a vehicle for anger. But, um, but nevertheless, I think there's a way in which especially the very hot topic issues, which are very polarizing, particularly immigration and race, have a propensity to be coded in a way which are really flattened out, terrible way to think about them. But nevertheless, immigration race, are you a person who is open and caring and welcoming? 
wants to have open borders, wants to be, um, you know, open to the other. And therefore, you have to follow uh, the liberal dictates on race and, and immigration? Or are you a person who actually wants to defend what's theirs, fight for their self-interest, um, be angry and resentful about those who have taken something from you, and therefore you vote for the right on this? And, and that means, therefore, being anti-migration and, and hating black people, right? Like, there's obviously chains of signification there where you might go, hang on, hang on, this does not mean that. One does not lead to the other. But nevertheless, that's the way that politics has been constructed to uh, today. And so I, I wonder if there's also, yeah, there's something going on in the politics as well as going on in the gender. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of certainly in the sense of this kind of ever um, polar polarization, you know, like, oh, if you have these positions, you must have these other ones. Right. And that this kind of, you know, the wedge gets larger and larger, um, as you were saying in the, the first part. But I mean, the really right wing explanation for this, the male right wing explanation would be something like, uh, women's liberal progressive sympathy for uh, minority groups, whether they be asylum seekers or trans people or whatever, is is simply misdirected maternal impulse. Right. That, that, I mean, that's I've seen this explanation rolled out, and I, you know, I'm I'm presenting it in a neutral uh, manner. Um, I hope, but it's it's the idea that if you don't give women children, they will run amok with their. <laughs> desire to care uh, and this sort of feeds into this idea of the long house and and you know the den mother and you know but there's something kind of very oppressive ultimately about that um, model of safetyism and and concern and protection it, you know it's against the spirit of adventure and you have people like bronze age pervert who are very defending was like the gay pirate against the you know the excesses of the long house and i mean you could certainly see though how it ties into um, an idea of bureaucracy as this kind of faceless, impersonal thing that nevertheless kind of compels the idea, like, be kind. You know, this was these were posters. Mm. These were real posters during lockdown that were <laughs> unbelievably dystopian um, <laughs> posters. Um, and, you know, you get this, you do get this a lot if you're if you're a woman. Uh, it's very, very hard to be disliked. It's very hard for anyone to be disliked. But I, I wonder if it's harder for women in some ways because we're, socialized to perhaps be more um i don't know other directed um very complicated question i i don't want to get into the whole biology sociology stuff but you know i certainly in my lifetime you know being kind of the beneficiary of a certain kind of second wave feminism which was egalitarian and said things like well women can do anything men can do and you know we were t told as girls like don't be held back don't be held back by being a girl you know you can sort of be anything you want to be and and, and that kind of thing and we we did have a kind of equality and I, I talk about this in the book as like the equality of the worst in the 90s which was really fun which was like you two could be as badly behaved as, as <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, the ladette yeah, yeah the, I, you know, and I, I really on the Bacardi I, breezes. I was yeah. quite, I was quite, you know, into that, and um, <laughs> in some ways, uh, seduced by that uh, marketing campaign, which is ultimately what it was. Um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, but it was a symptom, precisely, of 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 uh, you know, certain kind of um, economically driven image of the the woman as sort of emancipated through through work, um, and and through play as well, um. So, I, I yeah, I very it's very complicated how emotion then feeds back into these bureaucratic structures because we know that they're 
people's emotions are being policed at work, not just what they say and what they do, but the way they say it, like the vibe. You know, I went to Tate Modern, I put a, po- a photo of it where they had vibe checkers and they, they had some kind of LG, L- LGBTQ thing, some workshops and events, and they had vibe checkers that were people walking around checking people's vibes just in case they, <laughs> they honestly, and, and but this is the Did, kind of sorry, sorry. Of travel. Did, did you have your vibes checked? Did you yeah, pass or yeah, fail yeah. this? This because uh, I'm the chief vibes officer of this this podcast. <laughs> we we have actually talked about this previously. Um, but when when they're testing your vibes, is this a kind of scientific process? Or <laughs> I'm just I'm just curious. So when I get my vibes checked, I will know how to. You get pass. two. You get two takes on your little strip, or or only well, you, one you have to cough, and it's a bit uncomfortable for a few seconds. But okay. That sounds um, very invasive vibe checking, um, but yeah, I guess this is yeah. It's it's um, what happens if you fail the vibe check? Sorry, I've, I've completely derailed what what you were no, saying. No, which is I much think, more interesting. I think it's completely relevant to the whole pathocracy, you know, what the role of emotion in the kind of new regime or whatever. And I can't stop saying regime. I sound like some kind of like paranoid, like <laughs> anyway, regime is like cringe. But you know, the, whatever the direction of travel, like if we're talking about the the you know complex you know dynamic around emotion and be kind you know and we do have these these things to draw on they're not they're not sort of delusions or they're not made up right we really do have these kind of top-down emotional impositions so the vibe checker thing I thought was unbelievably symptomatic just in the way that the art world often is because it's at the cutting the bleeding edge probably that's offensive to I don't know knife throwers um, of, um... <laughs> or women um, no, no we don't really exist um we're just an image in men's heads um but um <laughs> sorry, i've lost it completely like to the vibe yeah the vibe checker so it's like a feel you know is everyone feeling okay like and and of course i was there with my friend uh pierre and yeah we did get our vibe checked we went we sort of looked in one of the workshops and and one of the little sort of oh that's so awfully patronizing one of the the people who was involved was like hi can i can i help you are you you know what are you what are you what are you thinking what are you doing here and, I, and we were like okay we'll we'll just leave um <laughs> so it's just it's it's not wanting to be confrontational right yeah. it's this kind yeah, of i think that's it, it passive aggressive but turns out to be absolutely sinister yeah, well, which 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 connects back to what we were talking about before about kind of the, like the repression of of any kind of feelings or you know kind of feelings which might be edgy or whatever. I, I didn't want to just a, a, as a, a kind of to close this off. I wanted to probe one last idea in terms of trying to explain um, or you know venture hypothesis as to why there's such a big divergence with under thirties on gender term on gender lines, um, which is that. And I, this came to me really like observing it in Brazil, where I think it was very, very clear, but I'm sure it plays out similarly elsewhere, where, especially in 2018, when Bolsonaro came around, he was, in many ways, a kind of candidate of, of rebellion. And certainly insofar as he appealed to young men, he appealed to them on the basis of like, owning, you know, owning the the lamos or whatever, you know, like, of kind of 
being the guy who's like, I'm going to do the gun, the gun thing. And like, I'm going to bring the aggression that's necessary to survive in a very violent society in which you have to defend yourself. And we're not going to do all this like human rights. Oh, you have to, you know, follow the rules of human rights and whatever. You can just shoot people and own and own the people who tell you, you can't do what you, what you, you know, you, you want to do screw them. Right. So it, it was very coded like that. That wasn't, his only appeal, and it appealed differently across different sections of society, class, regional, etc., and and certainly by age as well. But certainly for young men, especially like young online men, that was very much the vibe, right? It was the kind of alt right thing that you had with Trump and indeed pre Trump. Um, whereas the left, the PT, the Workers Party, was like, no, I'm going to be the you know the party that takes care of people. We want to defend the health service, various institutions that we've built up of democracy and so on. We don't want to crudify politics in the way that Bolsonaro has been horrible to women and genuinely very sexist, right? Like not one of these kind of things that like liberals say, oh, you can't say like genuinely extraordinarily sexist in many instances. So that played out. And then you had when the stats came out later on after the elections, there was this huge gender divergence, right, amongst young people. And I thought, well, okay, so maybe, maybe the issue here is that actually there hasn't been such a gender diversion insofar as men are more likely to vote for the rebel, for the adventurer. And this remains the case. It's just that the rebel and the adventurer appears now on the right rather than on the left. Just to throw that out there. Yes, definitely. And I think, I mean, Angela Nagel makes this argument very early on about the the shift to yeah. of humor and transgression to the right. And, and you know, the left some loses and cedes this power, you know, which is a great loss. Um yeah, I'm not, it's not complete, but she, di- you know, she very clearly diagnoses this shift and describes very well the the, you know, where 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 playfulness and where yeah risk and adventure move to, and it's it's the right right. So the right are no longer censorious, you know, moralistic Christians. They are the place of naughtiness, and you can say what you like and that sort of thing. Um, so the rebelliousness, yeah, has 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 changed sides. Um, I think that's. I think that's right. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know because it's 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 very hard to avoid generalizations, isn't it? And this is why we want to talk about this stuff politically without resorting to like essential claims about men and women. But I, I do think this this thing about well, this is the first time we've seen this separation of the sexes you know this this non-normativity of the heterosexual relation and the fact that so many young people identify as non uh not male and not female and not heterosexual you know like this this always is sort of been this has been happening for quite a long time but now it's like really quite a large percentage of young people who claim it doesn't matter in terms and it's no longer really a question of behavior it's not like it matters if they actually have sex with you know the same sex it doesn't matter it's it's just an identifier right but it's mm. it's an identifier it's a signifier that says like i'm a good person <laughs> right or you know i'm not uh i'm not a awful judgmental normative person i'm a you know kind thoughtful open-minded person and mm. um, I, I guess yeah i guess one of the, the the kind of questions about what about how it develops in the future is whether this is a particular kind of generational effect and you have you know, Gen Z are, have been influenced by all those things you were talking about, Nina, the particular socialization process, the current state of politics, or whether it's, you know, this is the new, the new normal to use, to use that phrase. And, um, you know, men and women will continue to, to diverge politically and, you know, men get, get more, more base, women get more, more caring and, you know, see how that 
plays itself out. Yeah, I don't think that's going to end well somehow. I I do sort no. of think <laughs> those... Yeah. But suddenly, like you have you have gender equality suddenly, and then you have at the same time you have gender equality, like this huge divergence in in attitudes. Exactly, that's, you know, that's yeah. the paradox, and that's what's perplexing. It's, exactly, but it's almost like this redifferentiation. It's like how do we differentiate ourselves when everything is homogenizing, right? And I wonder if there's always this tension between mm. wanting to be different and and you know when there's sameness and. Yeah, it's 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 super fascinating. You wrote you put this um you put this uh, once in a piece you wrote, Nina, as um, the society. Let me get it right. Uh, it was society of the brother, mm-hmm. where you said without the kind of authority um, figure of the father in kind of um, classical psychoanalytic terms, you have relations between men and women kind of or regress to those of um siblings yeah yeah relating to each other as siblings i mean does that go some way to would you still can do you still is how much of your analysis is based on that basically yeah i i do still hold to that and i think it this is also a it's a kind of psychoanalytic but also kind of analysis of capitalism in the sense of the de-differentiation of the sexes through the form of employment right and the the, the, the fact that sexual difference no longer really matters in in the vast majority of uh, employment and the vision of humanity. I mean, the fact that we even talk about human beings, we don't talk about men and women, <laughs> you know, shows it indicates a certain shift to a sort of um, single sex, if you like. But I think the sibling rivalry might actually play out, answer this or, to, or give an attempt to, to address this question of divergence. Because, you know, I remember my brother, who's like maybe two years younger than me, like the attempt to differentiate ourselves from one another was like really hostile, right? Like it was really rivalrous. It was like my brother was telling me, no, you can't listen to Nirvana. Like Nirvana are my band. You know, you're allowed (laughs) to listen to Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and we can both listen to Tool (laughs) or whatever, you know, but it becomes this sort of how do you differentiate yourself from somebody who's so proximate? And maybe it's this proximity of men and women, like I talk about heterosociality in the book, the fact that everything is mixed you know, the the public-private, you know... But who's... If there's no father figure, whose attention are you competing for through the rivalry? Yeah, well, I... It's either the state, isn't it? I mean, the state is the the bad... Well, I don't know, the absent mother who you're trying to... You know, I wonder about bureaucracy, whether it's the mother, in a way. You know, this would go a bit to the longhouse. I don't want to go fully down the longhouse route, but I... (laughs) I am interested in in the sort of sexing of institutions or structures, right? Because yeah, I- but it's not. I mean, it's not. There's a long. I mean, there is a long kind of strain of feminist analysis of yeah. um, the matriarchal kind of aspects of the welfare state. Yeah. Um, and that seems to me like um, you know. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone's tried to take it further more recently. I doubt it. I suppose for some of the reasons we've been talking about, but the idea that bureaucracy kind of um, you know has um, but bureaucracy of the welfare state has some of these kind of maternal characteristics and that it comes with its own kind of distinctive authoritarianism that's mm-hmm. different from the traditional authoritarianism of the strict kind of paternal father. That seems to me be very, very plausible. And it and it suffers yeah. a, a further change as well when it's no longer a welfare state, which actually has goodies to distribute, but only can give you recognition that's like the most it can give you so everyone just competes for recognition from the state as a victim perhaps as a privileged victim and that's all you're getting 
And I think that changes the dynamic too, but I'm not sure exactly how that plays into the, into the kind of Freudian understanding. Yes. Anyway, I, unless anyone has anything to add, maybe we should just leave that one hanging. Um, I'll end on a question. We'll leave that there. Um, these have been big topics. This has been big, big ideas. Nina, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, should have had you on way, way, way before, um, but uh, hopefully you'll come on again soon. Oh, thank you. Your questions are amazing. This is wonderful. Excellent. Everyone's happy. World resolved. Uh, everyone has a good weekend. <laughs> Men and women living podcasting <laughs> together in harmony. <laughs> All right, listener, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this and we will see you next week. Catch you later. Bye.